You have reached the voicemail box of Speed Dial with Ira Madison III and Doreen St. Felix. This week we'll be talking about Los Angeles' Pride celebration, the eternal saga of Whitney Houston and Bobby Brown, and the filmography of Spike Lee on the 25th anniversary of Jungle Fever. Leave a message. Hey, Ira. It's Doreen. I just want to check up on you. I know you're going to Pride today. Um, call me back when you have a chance. Hey, Doreen. Do you miss me in New York? I miss you so much. Oh, my God. I'm happy that you're coming back pretty soon, though. But still, this week is just... It's already a terrible week, and not having you with me only makes it worse. I know. I'm missing all that quarter water that you're drinking without me. <laughs> I'm actually drinking a green <laughs> smoothie right now. It is called the Rainforest. It has ginger pulp in it. There's no quarter water in this situation, okay? This is like... Did that cost you $20? This is white people drink. <laughs> Did it cost $20? close not it's not la priced but it definitely like <laughs> i'm making another dent in my paycheck for anybody who was listening last week <laughs> well at least you weren't hustled into getting this one you did this on your own i know exactly uh, oh my god so talk to me how was pride uh it was a lot you know um mm -hmm. it was a it was a great day Overall, you know, it was fun being with friends and, um, you know, seeing Los Angeles come together. But, man, it's been a rough weekend. Um, and there were a lot of emotions. There was the shooting in Orlando this weekend at the Pulse nightclub in F Orlando, Florida. And um, 49 people were killed, 50 including the gunman. The weekend sort of became about remembering them, you know, being on sort of extra high alert for anything that could be happening to us that weekend. So it was a big mix of emotions and it was um, it was difficult, but it also felt, um, you know, great being around people that I care about. Yeah. And also, I think just. I mean, the timing of these events are never, they can, they they always happen at terrible times, but I think just the fact that this happened during Pride Month, it ends up being a little bit of a bomb that there are already planned celebrations for people to gather around. Um, and I remember, mm -hmm. I remember feeling like really thankful and happy that, the, that Pride was happening the day after, so you know you had something to go to, you had people to be around. Would you say that the general like feel or vibe was joyful? With like, were people, yeah. you know, were there memorials or anything like that? So there were some memorials um, set up at random places throughout West Hollywood, and a lot of the parades were marching in remembrance of the victims from Orlando. But overall, it was pretty much a joyful event. Last night, actually, the day after Pride, there was a large-scale vigil hosted at City Hall. Mm -hmm. um, and that was 
a much more somber um, event. Um, Lady Gaga stopped by and spoke some words to the audience. A lot of community leaders were there speaking out against, you know, um, hate crimes and racism in the community and America and gun violence in America. Mm-hmm. But Sunday was just all about, you know, having fun and um, remembering the victims the way that they were before they lost their lives. You know, it was just a regular Saturday night for them. You know, there were some mixed emotions about whether or not we should go, but I feel like I got so many more text messages from people Sunday morning that was like, um, you know, I have to go. Where are you going to be? I have to see you, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean... Just every city um, across the country has had like makeshift vigils, makeshift memorials. And I, you know, I was traveling, I was down south. So I only just got back to New York, but I was following what was happening here. And Sunday, the night after, there was a gathering at Stonewall, but it wasn't, it wasn't the official gathering. The official one, like sanctioned by the city, was on Monday. And that was the one where some like weirdness went down because this thing pops up, right? And it's sanctioned by the city, which which already is going to be strange because so much of these communities that we're talking about, they exist in, um, you know, sort of like in the shadows of like mainstream culture, especially New York City's police culture. Um, And I talked to a lot of people and I saw a lot of like tweets and live streaming that expressed discomfort with the really strong police presence that was there. And then the irony of like straight white dudes talking about a community that was almost unilaterally all brown people. Like I looked at the names, I've looked at the victims. They're all pretty much all Latino Um, and are all, you know, mostly are gay. It just seemed like you could just feel the pink washing happening like immediately, like while this massacre is like still fresh. How many queer people are in New York? How many queer people of color who are just as famous, especially in front of Stonewall, where Latino and black people were the ones actually leading that initial revolt in 1969? Mm-hmm. And we all know how history has been whitewashing them out of that. So it was like a double dose of whitewashing. I feel like this thing that you're talking about, having to deal with whitewashing in moments of grief, in moments of mourning, it's just like so much extra emotional labor. You know? It's not necessarily in that instance that one should have to make like intellectual arguments or have to like keep the narrative from running away from what it should be but this is what always happens whenever massacres target marginalized communities and I mean I feel like it's almost been like a Russian doll effect watching the way Orlando is talked about you have the extreme white ring Republicans who are like oh you know like today was a, a tragedy for all people and, the, and then you have people like Anderson Cooper who's like, oh, it was a tragedy for gay and lesbian people. And then you have people who are actually of the black and brown community in 
and who are LGBTQIA and they're like, no, there's this other level of specificity, you know? And it's just like the erasure. No, it's it's exhausting, you yeah. know? Because it's like on sa- on Sunday, I actually had to console a friend of mine who was like very torn up about it. Uh-huh. Um, and he was like, this, you know, it could have been one of us. And I'm like... I felt him, but I was also like, there was no way you would have ever been at Pulse nightclub in Miami, boo. Damn. Like, ever. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, you don't even go to Latin night in West Hollywood. You go to the same bar um, with your same white friends, and I'm like, I get that, you know, it could just as easily have happened at a white bar, but we also need to look at the conditions that cause our communities to sort of self-segregate because we're not welcome in other spaces. And you have to think about why Pulse Nightclub exists in the first place and why they had that Latinx night Mm -hmm. and why that gunman chose to go to that bar, you know, instead of any other gay bar. Because, you know, that's not the only gay bar in Orlando. Yeah, and Um, according to reports, this is something that he'd been planning for a really long time. So I don't think that there's a reality where the gunman wasn't like, oh, I'm just going to randomly go on this night as opposed to I have reasons for going. Um, And he's a person of color. So, you know, you have to think about how it's easier for him to be at that space and sort of case it than it is for you know, a person of color to be in a white space and to do that, you know, because people are extra aware of people of color in white spaces, you know? There's just so many factors that suggest that it would be very hard for that to happen in like a Hell's Kitchen or a West Hollywood gay bar as opposed to something on the fringes, you know? That's such a good point. And I know it's still like really fresh currently, but I do hope that conversations, especially within groups of, you know, friend groups or just like associations of white people within the LGBT community, if they would like really kind of sit down and speak to the larger segregation that's happening. I mean, one way it's always talked about is via dating apps, right? Like the white guys who go on it and they're like, oh, like no fast, no femmes, like no blacks, no brown people, all this stuff. Like that is really mainstreamed in that space, um, which mm-hmm. again speaks to why certain a certain like group of white gay men in particular would have never been caught in that space and I think not witnessing the differences like via race or class that separate already marginalized communities it just does a disservice to really like you know moving forward from the situation with all honesty you know like we can't move forward from Orlando and say like oh it could have been us because like there's just certain people who would have never been at least given the facts of the situation and that actually makes me want to bring up um obviously whenever massacres like this happen in america in particular and islam is invoked muslim people are immediately kind of expected to either apologize for the event or to like you know make 
to very publicly distance themselves from that person, even though they don't know who the fuck that person is in the first place. And one of my right, dear, like I have yeah. never met this person. I'm not sorry. Um, don't come to me. Like, do I go to white people's homes, knock on their door like a Jehovah's Witness, and demand <laughs> that they apologize every time a white man goes on a massacre? I mean, if you if you had to do that, you would you wouldn't have time to do anything else. So, Whitney Houston has been dead for a good long ass minute, and yet somehow, for some reason, Bobby Brown is still out here looking for attention. Listen, you remember that hologram, right? It's not just Bobby. It's also Sissy. A couple of months ago, I don't know if y'all saw this video, but Christina Aguilera was doing a duet with a Whitney Houston hologram, an alleged Whitney Houston hologram for The Voice. Which was probably just like Christina Milian with a head wrap. It looked nothing like Whitney. <laughs> it did. It was like way too light skin. And it I, there was also like at the end of the performance, the hologram just like burst into a bunch of dust and stars like it was a Disney princess or something. It was so <laughs> like... Poor Nippy. And so... It's offensive. Like, let this woman rest in peace. Uh, We already had, like, you know, the tragedy with Bobby Christina happen, and now it just seems like there are always new ways to milk, you know, Whitney's past. And not even in, like, the Michael Jackson way, where, like, they just, like keep releasing new music that I don't think he even knew existed. Um, (laughs) They're not releasing new Whitney songs. They're just being like, oh, here's some more of her personal business. Exactly. Banking off the drama that was Whitney Houston's life. So Bobby Brown, he did this like two-part interview a couple of weeks ago and is releasing this memoir. And one of the like quote unquote explosive stories that he tells within is basically that Whitney Houston and her longtime friend were actually probably in love. And so Bobby Brown makes the claim that Whitney is or was bisexual. And first of all, this is not a new rumor. If you're even at At a little acquainted with Whitney Houston, you've been heard about this. Her and Robin. And that, like, you know, brings me to, like, that idea of the fact that, like, even before the internet, we knew all this shit about people, you know? It's just, like, you talked about it, and then you moved on. Nobody really cared. We all knew about Whitney and Robin. Yeah. And I think what's so disgusting about it to me is, A, like, clearly he did not get Robin's consent at all to include this in his book. Like, I don't think that that happened. And it's also just like, you're trying to sensationalize something that really wasn't that sensational. You know, obviously like Whitney had her reasons for not being, this was likely true, but she had her reasons for like not speaking about it in the public and that's fine. And she doesn't have to like be posthumously like outed in this way as if it's gonna teach us something about Whitney that we didn't already know. Like, the, so much of the problem of her life was 
the her the way her personal life really was just like milked by both her family and by Bobby to you know just end up hurting her like the infamous reality TV show that she did with Bobby Brown. It's really yeah. The episodes are like it's a, funny as hell to watch, but retrospectively, you're like, there's some serious shit going on right now. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I'm glad. Um, you know, Bobby Brown was able to like scribble together some sentences enough to even publish a book. Um, I had no <laughs> idea he was actually literate. Um, <laughs> But, like, he could have saved, like, this color purple Suge Avery story that he wanted to spin with Whitney. Because it's like, as you said, it offers no new insight into who Whitney was. And it also doesn't, like, have any sort of bearing on, like, the world that we're living in right now. At all. Like, there was some sadness about how, like, you know if Whitney had still been with Robin, you know, she might still be alive today and that like homophobia killed her. And I'm like, "Mm, the crack killed her. Um, (laughs) So I just don't see why we're, you know, doing all this like guessing and like prophesizing about whether or not Whitney would still be alive. Like we know what killed her. Um, you contributed a lot to it, Bobby. Um, and if you were that broken up about her not being able to be with Robin in the past, you would have actually done something about it instead of waiting decades to write a book about it. Um, just so you can get some coins. Exactly. And also just like knowing, I mean, we were writers, so we know how PR people concoct plans around the release of projects, just the fact that this is happening in June and Pride Month, like, just makes me feel all the more disgusted. Whitney's mm-hmm. life was her own to live when she was alive, and if she hasn't consented to, you know, speculation like this, there's no reason why we should be like giving, paying it any mind. Like, she's dead. Like, let I think dead people should just be like left alone, and also I think that they should be like honored via the things that they made and Whitney made music she made her voice and just the fact that like Bobby Brown is still so much of a loser that he has to like continue he can only be relevant off of her story it's just like dude like you could have been a huge star like you were very talented in the 80s even into the early 90s but you're such a fuck up and like I just think it's embarrassing especially he's probably like He's probably like really mad that they didn't invite him to back to the new Ghostbusters so he could sing a theme song again. <laughs> and this is his way of lashing out. And the only way that he knows how with words. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, like Bobby Brown was hella talented. You know, I still listen to that Ghostbusters theme song. I listen to his solo shit. Um, I listen to New Edition. Um, like he had it, but he lost it, and it's just so messy. And it's like jumping back to like the ways that we can honor her. Like you didn't have to sing with um 
a hologram Christina. Like, you could have just sang a medley of some Whitney Houston songs. Yeah, Christina, she absolutely should have said no to that. I don't care if Sissy or whoever's estate had originally co-signed it. You, as somebody who is... You only exist because of Whitney Houston. Whitney Houston is your progenitor. She laid the path that allows for, like, extreme vocalists like that to be relevant as pop stars. And I think that that was just like, yeah, I was really disappointed in Christina Aguilera for that. It's like, girl, I'm always disappointed in her because I'm like, I love her voice. And like, I don't think Christina knows like how much black people love her, actually, (laughs) because we will always ride for somebody with a really good voice, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, if she would just like, you know, call up baby face and be like yo let's drop this r&b album you know like work with tamar or like k michelle's producers you know like get a song with drake or something you know it's like give us the r&b that we wanted after like your first album where you like sang down in that first album it's true christina never leaned into that she never leaned into that realm and it makes no sense because like her voice is made for that. And I think her vocals are out of control. And yeah. It's... And it never like it never really fit in the way that like Britney Spears's vocals did fit with the pop music that she was putting out. Christina's always felt a little bit off kilter. It was like you were trying to jam, I don't know, like a ten the foot only tall one... man into like a six foot tall box. Like it just was a little bit <laughs> off always. The only time it ever really worked was like, like Genie in a Bottle was a good hit. Um, and that's still like the jam. But that's the only time that she was ever really like in comparison with Britney, I think. You know, and then like her next album when she tried to do like Dirty and stuff like that is like she kept going traps. too far. Yes, too far into that pop star arena, you know? And she could have been a pop star on her own terms. Yeah. And I really wish that she had, you know, like been releasing her own version of like, how will I know, you know, giving you million dollar bills, you know, like, damn, give us some R&B pop. Yeah. Or if you don't want to do the R&B, sing the standards, do the Lady Gaga. She has a better voice than Lady Gaga, but Lady Gaga has absolutely capitalized off of that. You know what? Let me just stick with the 40 to 50 year old like light music crew and make them coins off of Tony Bennett. She could have done that too. I just think she hasn't I mean, really made any really intelligent career choices. I mean, if after... we're being perfectly frank, I would rather have Extina in that um, vocal pop star arena than Adele, you know? like. Mm. Give Christina some of Adele's songs and the house will shake. It's true. And she'll also, like, Christina will at least, she'll give you a little dance. You know how Adele just, like, stands there when she performs? Christina yeah. will still give you a little sun sun. Like, she'll d- give you a two-step, too. But, yeah. alas, it was just not meant to be with her. I always feel sad about Christina Aguilera because I'm like, is she just going to keep you know bopping along like is she destined like is she debbie gibson i like we'll just never hear from her again but is there even that much incentive for her to not bop along like she has those voice checks now what i mean just thinking about what they must be paying her 
in order to get her to sing with a Whitney Houston hologram. I think she just might be gone, Ira. I'm sorry. Well, R.I.P. <laughs> I can't believe you just said R.I.P. Christina Aguilera. <laughs> Christina Aguilera isn't dead. She just isn't making good music. <laughs> I just read your piece on the 25th anniversary of Jungle Fever, a one Spike Lee masterpiece, some people would say, but that's not what you were saying in your piece. <laughs> who who would say this? I feel like white people love Jungle Fever. Well, white people just like love Spike Lee in general because he's so um, radical, you know? Do you, have you noticed that like, at some point it shifted and like I hear far more white people telling me how much they love Spike Lee than black people. Like they were riding for Chirac and <laughs> oh my I God. could barely make it through that movie. You're so right. I, the New Yorker film critic wrote a glowing review of Chirac and I was like, damn, like do I even live in the same planet as white people anymore? Because the movie that I saw was just like so ham-fisted, nothing to glow about. And I think what you talk about in your piece with respect to Jungle Fever is the criticism for every Spike Lee piece and for every fan of a Spike Lee movie. You were They're like- just corny as hell. It's, it's corny though because it's trying to like teach people things. It's very didactic. It's like if PBS made like sexy race movies. Right, but not even like, not even like a preacher, you know, coming down and like, you know, trying to like preach to the congregation. Like Spike's teachings are always like Michelle Pfeiffer in Dangerous Minds, like really trying to enlighten these downtrodden black people in her class and being like, don't you know that interracial dating is bad? Don't you know that guns kill people in Chicago? Don't you know that there's colorism at HBCUs? Which is funny because right now it sounds like you could be describing a number of Tyler Perry movies. And as most people probably know, Spike Lee and Tyler Perry did not get along for a very long time. And I wonder if, I mean, they're friends now because Oprah brought them together, like Oprah brings everybody together. But I wonder if Spike was really resistant to Perry because he didn't like maybe seeing sort of a reflection of his own work in Tyler Perry. I mean, Perry's. you're right. Because um, Spike's movies are always like these parables um, about some social justice issue that's going on. And then instead of like a real story uh, or characters doing anything that ever makes sense, uh, they just sort of like do crazy shit for like two hours. And then I guess we're supposed to learn a message from it, which is a lot like Tyler Perry movies, except that Spike Lee is a better writer than mm -hmm. Tyler Perry and clearly a better director. Um, 
So it's corny material, um, but it's well-written corny material, which is very weird. It's weird watching a Spike movie, um, not the bad ones like Chirac, but like the good ones. Like I love School Days, Mm -hmm. you know, but the writing in it is it's still corny yeah it's really the directing un- it's is really amazing uncanny. i never often i feel when i watch a spike lee movie that the dialogue isn't really how black people talk like in the real world it's very much oh my just God. like <laughs> um i think we were chatting about this earlier it's like the the summary is what ends up being the dialogue. So instead of like a black person just being a normal black person in the world, they're just like, ah, and these light skins, they do these things. And it's like, that's not black people. (laughs) Don't like there's a scene in jungle fever where Wesley Snipes is angry that, um, his two white bosses have hired a temp who's white and not a black one. Um, like he asked for instead of having a scene where this is the subtext the subtext becomes the text and the scene is literally him being like you know i asked you for a black temp i'm the only african-american working at this company (laughs) and it's just that was 20 first that movie is over it's 25 years old at this point today ain't no black person in america who can talk to their white boss like that let alone ever it post reagan in the early 90s so i don't know what spike is talking about (laughs) and the scene where um the black women are just hanging out in the living room having this like coven um convening being like you know my man only likes <laughs> light-skinned women or you know our black men just don't love us you know they want to go and chase a white woman oh the only good ones are homos or they're in jail and i'm like what black woman have you been talking to because we talk with nuance like i talk with gay black friends about the fact that like we have other gay black friends who only date white men um or we have ones that won't date outside their race and like when we talk about it it's always in like a joking sort of lighthearted manner um we go into deeper issues sometimes but it's it's never like laid out in these ridiculous ass scenarios like what would you do twitter is it's always got these crazy people jumping in being like oh never my man oh she must have lost her mind it's like no one speaks like this and also no one no one lives like this you know the example that you gave with wesley snipes's character like obviously you might think oh damn like i was advocating for a black person to come into the workplace but like this is just our reality we get fucked over all the time and you just kind of like roll with the punches as opposed to getting like really militant over every little like gripe that you you suffer as a black person and i feel like that's one facet of the black of the black experience in America that Spike Lee just like won't honor. He always has to go for bombast. He always has to go for exaggeration. Um, His characters are always like weirdly militant about shit that they don't need to be militant about. Um, And I just want like, 
it's just like a movie full of hoteps. Like it's always <laughs> something is always so serious. Um, the movie ends. I don't even know if you remember the ending. Like I haven't seen he's it in a minute. Walking down so the street. He's Wesley is walking down the street, um, and this crack addict, she comes up to him and she's like, Hey yo, I'll suck your dick for like two dollars. <laughs> and he grabs her and embraces her and like looks up at the sky and screams, No. Oh my god. And then Drake was born. <laughs> Listen, I'm so, I just like, obviously this is the kind of thing that would have moved the hell out of a teenage me. I, I'm sure I watched Jungle Fever and was just like, oh my God, this is so powerful. But now I'm older, I'm grown. I just, I'm waiting for that black director to come and make the movies about our daily lives and have them have nuance. They don't have to make big you know, conclusions about black experience. I just want, you know, just peaceful, non-exaggerated black films. This episode of Speed Dial was produced by Michael Catano, Mukta Mohan and Kasia Mihailovic for the MTV Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter at MTV Podcasts and subscribe to this and other MTV podcasts on iTunes.